Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're with us today. Uh, for those of you who are new or I haven't gotten the pleasure of meeting, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor at, at First Baptist Hanford. We're glad uh, you tuned in with us. We are, we're marching through this series right now called Family Tree. And um, as we're marching through it, uh, Sunday morning is obviously the big piece of the entire thing, but we're doing a lot of different pieces that connect the series together as a whole over on our Facebook page as well as our Instagram page. Uh, so make sure that you, uh, you have followed or liked both of those pages so you don't miss out on anything um, there. And make sure you interact with us on there as well. We'd love to, uh, to hear from you. Uh, but today we get an opportunity to talk about our kids um, and if you're single, if you don't have kids or you, you don't have kids that are your responsibility anymore or anything like that, don't tune out uh, because today actually has a lot more to do with our individual walks with Christ than it does about how to make your kids better. Uh, because ultimately, I don't think that should be our goal as to how to make our kids better. We're going to talk about our, uh, our ultimate goal. But when I was growing up, um, I remember uh, very specifically going to church with my parents. We went to uh, Merced First Baptist Church um, uh, up in Merced, obviously, and we lived just around the corner. And so I can remember walking to church. I remember uh, me and my brother riding our big wheels uh, over to church um, and parking them in the bike racks uh, for whatever reason. We parked them in the bike racks there. And then we would go to church. We'd go to Sunday school, my brother and I. My mom would go to her Sunday school. Um, and then after Sunday school, we would, of course, go to what was affectionately known as Big Church. Uh, I'm sure some of you grew up going to big church uh, as well. But when we got to big church, that's when my dad oftentimes would join us there. Um, and so I remember numerous times my dad uh, coming in, and I sat, w- sat close to him because it was just me, my, my dad, and my brother, and my mom. Um, and so I would be sitting close to him, and we'd be singing this song, some hymn um, at the time, and... All of a sudden, my dad, it would come like for my dad's time to, he would get excited about it or he was passionate about this part or maybe he only knew those specific lyrics or whatever, Um, but he would begin to sing. And I remember thinking, my dad has the deepest, most bellowiest, greatest voice known to man. Um, And I remember not just that piece, but I remember thinking as I got older, oh, my dad actually valued singing. My dad uh, valued worship. He, he, he valued the singing portion of the service so much so that he stood up. As an aside, I know we're trying to get used to this uh, church online type of thing. However you need to be able to posture yourself in order to worship better, in order to sing uh, along with the songs that we're putting forth and that sort of thing, that's phenomenal. Do it. Whether that means standing, sitting, kneeling, dancing with your kids in the living room, Whatever that looks like, we would just encourage you uh, to be able to do that uh, now. But I specifically remember learning uh, that habit from my dad of we stand up when we sing and we sing loud and we sing to the best of our ability uh, when we sing. So I remember learning that from my dad. I also remember uh, growing up a um, little later on in life when I was in high school and I would have to wake up uh, at 5.30 in the morning to go to uh, morning practice for water polo. Uh, And regardless of what time I woke up, whether it was 5.30 or 5.45 or I was rolling out of bed late at 
5.55 or whatever to be at practice by 6 o'clock. Uh, my mom was always sitting at the dining room table when I got up um, reading her Bible, doing her quiet time with God before the entire day started. And that left a deep impact on me. That, that made me learn that, hey, this is something that is valuable. This is something that is important, even more important than sleep. Um, and so I remember learning those things. I, and, and this may kind of um, make you think back to that common phraseology, simply that more is caught than is taught. Um, and that's largely what we're going to talk a little bit about today, is this idea that, hey, more is caught through your parenting than is taught. I remember I caught a lot of things from my parents, not just good habits. Obviously, I caught some bad habits as well. I caught some weird habits, like, you know, you, before you make a PB&J sandwich, you have to mix the peanut butter and jelly together. It tastes better that way, right? That's a weird habit that I caught from my parents. They, my mom never once told me, hey, it is important for you to know that you need to mix your peanut butter and jelly together before you put it on your sandwich. We just know that that's the right thing to do because I grew up watching her do it. Or I, I learned from my dad, I caught from my dad that, hey, it's really important to pick up all of the sports equipment out of the yard so the rain or sun doesn't destroy it for the next day. Granted, he told me that a lot too, but I also watched him do it on a regular basis. I caught these things from my parents. So more oftentimes is caught than is taught. Specifically to parents though, as we're talking about the family, as we're talking about this idea that more is caught than taught, what are you doing? Parents, what are you doing specifically? What are you watching specifically? What are you laughing at? What risks are you taking? What fun are you having? Because I think this season really has forced introspection for a lot of people. And I want to take a minute and think about uh, not what it is that you're telling your kids, but I want to think about uh, what it is that your actions are throwing at them. What is it that your actions are allowing your kids to catch? Maybe it's when something stressful at work happens. Does that change your attitude when you come home? Maybe you lost your job in the midst of this entire pandemic and how you are responding to it, I promise you, your kids are catching on to that. When you're bored, do you dive into your phone or you, do you dive into Facebook in order to be entertained rather than simply engaging with those people that are around you? Are your kids watching you read the Bible and discuss God's word? I don't know where you're at, but the passage today is one of the few glimpses that we get into Jesus' childhood. And I'm going to propose to you that in this instance, while it speaks a lot about Jesus knowing kind of his role on earth, it also speaks to Mary and Joseph, who are raising their son, who happens to be the Savior of the world, in such a way that he caught some good habits from them, particularly in reference to following God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Luke chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a second. Um, but in this passage, Jesus and his parents are heading to Jerusalem for Passover. Passover was one of three uh, traditional Jewish holidays uh, where practicing Jews had to make a pilgrimage to the temple. It's actually outlined incredibly clearly in Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. It says this. It says, three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, that's Passover. Okay, it doesn't say Passover in the Bible, but that's another name for Passover. 
the festival of weeks and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. And then he goes on to talk about the different sacrifices that need to be made uh, on, on your own behalf to cleanse yourself um, uh, spiritually. Okay, so it's, it, this is outlined for us in Deuteronomy 16, 16. So we need to recognize that Mary and Joseph were taking this mandate incredibly seriously in this passage that we're going to read here in just a second. See, Mary and Joseph, they knew the commands of the Torah, the Jewish Bible, and they practiced those commands incredibly faithfully, as we see here. They are taking a pilgrimage there. I also want to point out, while the verse here, it says, all your men, is what it says specifically. It wasn't unheard of for the women and children to go, uh, to go with the men as well. So imagine then, every single Israelite was supposed to ascend on Jerusalem where the tabernacle was at the exact same time. Think about the amount of people who would have been there then. It would have been chaos. It would have been so many people flooding the city, going up to Jerusalem all at the exact same time. The crowds, the masses, everyone excited to kind of celebrate Passover. Right? It probably felt a little bit like Easter for us. Right? Probably not Easter this year where everybody stayed in their pajamas and the Easter bunny mysteriously didn't show up. Uh, but maybe Easter like other years uh, where, you know, you get your family together. Maybe you have uh, some friends you haven't seen in a while. You, you hide some eggs. Uh, you eat some good food. You're grateful for what God and his done, son did on your behalf, and then you go home. This is probably what this would have felt like a little bit. This is all well and good, but the problem actually happens at the end of this verse, at the end of this story that we're going to read in just a second. After the festival is over, everyone is supposed to go home. And we don't exactly see that happening. Check the story out. It's in Luke 2, starting in verse 41. It says this, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Okay, I want you to note that it says every year. Okay, It doesn't say this year they went. Every single year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. That's the custom that's found in Deuteronomy 16, 16. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Go back to that one real quick. So when it talks about this idea that they were gone for three days, or they were looking for him for three days, uh, it wasn't five days total or a week total or anything like that. It was three days total. They traveled one day back to their homes. Once they realized Jesus wasn't with them, they turned around, they went back to Jerusalem. That's day two, and they were able to find him on the third day. Let's keep, let's keep going. Uh, verse 47 says this. Everyone who heard him was amazed at, it, at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth, Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So while I already highlighted some things here, 
Uh, what I want to focus on uh, a little bit more isn't that Jesus' parents didn't know necessarily that he was gone and didn't find him for three days, which honestly uh, wouldn't have been that strange for them to assume that he was with the rest of the masses of people who were traveling to Nazareth with friends, with family, different things like that. Beyond that, Jesus was 12 years old, and my assumption is Mary and Joseph probably weren't helicopter parents. So they probably had an inkling as to where he should have been. They should have gone, he should have gone home. He didn't. They realized it. They turned around and came back. What I want to pull from this, though, is that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. We're going to focus on the 100% man piece for just a second. He was a kid. Okay, to the best of our knowledge, Jesus had to get potty trained. Jesus had to learn things. If he was around, he probably would have had a hard time with distance learning, just like all of your kids are right now. Okay? Jesus had to walk through a lot of these things. And so for him to be engaged in conversations, asking the teachers questions in the temple courts, I don't think this is a testament to bad parenting by forgetting your kid. I actually think this is a testament to great parenting that even though Jesus was on his own for a few days, he decided to go hang out with church with the pastors and gain more knowledge about God. Okay? This is a habit that he had formed because he saw what his parents were doing on a consistent basis. This is something that he caught from his parents. And even if there was some divinity shining through in this moment, some of the 100% God shining through in this moment, the practice and ritual of coming to a place of worship and learning from those who have come before you, learning from the teachers, gaining wisdom and insight about God would have been an incredibly important one for him to continue to hold. That behavior wasn't something that Mary just told him to do. Okay, my assumption here, and again, this is an assumption, but my assumption here is that Mary and Joseph took their faith incredibly seriously, and Jesus caught onto what he was supposed to be doing. So know that some of you are thinking, hey, look, my 12-year-old, if he was lost for three days, he wouldn't know what to do unless he had Fortnite and a bag of Cheetos with him. He would have no clue what exactly he was supposed to do. And beyond that, he definitely wouldn't walk to church and begin striking up theological conversations with Pastor Jeff. That isn't something that he would do. Uh, what I am saying, I'm not saying your kids should be Jesus, but what I am saying is that your kids are watching you. Our kids are watching us. They are watching how you interact. They are watching how you handle yourself during boredom. They are watching how you fight with your spouse. They are watching how you make up with your spouse. They are watching how seriously you engage with church. They are watching how often you clip your toenails. They are watching you. Your kids are around you all the time right now, all the time. I actually saw a pretty great meme that I think illustrates pretty well uh, what this season has kind of been like. If you don't know what a meme is, this is a meme. Um, so this would be me down in the bottom right-hand corner trying to do anything. Kid one is saying, snuggle me, and kid two saying, I need a snack. This is every single day right now for a lot of parents. I also don't know how two of my kids got into this photo. Okay, but this is every single day right now. Your kids are always around you. Our kids are always around us right now if you have kids at home. But so many of us, we are just, we're crammed into our homes right now with nothing to do but be together right now. And you better believe that your kids are catching more than we're teaching. That's what kids do. I honestly believe if your goal is to raise kids who are not just good people, 
but are people who love and honor God. You need to teach them how to love and honor God. You need to show them how to do it. And while sometimes that really is by direct instruction, right, teaching is an important piece of learning through direct instruction. Our kids are always watching. They're always listening. They are like little Santas without beards. They are always watching you, taking it all in. They are going to replicate what they see and what they hear. When I was three, I was at the fireplace at my mom and at our house, and I was building a block tower. And all of a sudden, my block tower fell over. I don't know how. It should have been structurally sound, seeing that I was three years old. But it fell over. And as the tower fell over, I said my very first cuss word. I'm sure my mom and my dad were very proud of me in that moment. But why did I say that? It wasn't because my mom and my dad cussed or anything like that. I don't ever remember actually ever hearing them cuss. Okay? It was because of the fact that my babysitter used an expletive word on a regular basis. And so I knew in that moment, if something bad happens that I don't want to have happen, if frustration occurs, I should use this expletive. Now, I didn't know it was an expletive. I didn't know what the word meant. I just knew that that was the sound that came out of my babysitter's mouth when something frustrating happened. So something frustrating happened to me. And what did I do? I used that very same sound, that very same word. Our kids are catching things. They aren't teaching. We, we, we are teaching them, yes, but they are catching just as much as we are giving them directly. So what do we do with all this? Okay? I believe we need to recognize that our goal as parents is to raise kids who love Jesus with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. That should be the first goal. That, hey, if, if we're a part of church, if our goal, is to ra- our goal shouldn't be just to raise kids that are moral, our goal should be to raise kids who love Jesus more than anything else in the entire world. And what happens is, is as they do that, morality follows. So if that's the case, then we as adults need to be striving after the same thing as well. It is our job to lead our kids and those that we influence towards God. Romans 12.2 talks about this. This is what it says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it is on us as parents to stop being culturally Christian and embrace the honorable role of parent to our children. Of not just a parent, but a parent who is following closely after Jesus to our kids. Now more than ever, and I want you to pay attention to this part, because now more than ever, I think that we need to recognize that it has never been, it has never ever been the church's responsibility for raising godly children. If your assumption is that your kids are going to love Jesus because you bring them here when you can bring them here, because you bring them here for an hour or two a week, you're sadly mistaken. That's not the role of the church. The role of the church is threefold. It's to glorify God. It's to equip the saints. That's you. And it's to evangelize to the world. It's not to make your kid kid, a good kid. That's not the role. It's not to make your kids love Jesus. Our job is to make you better at doing that by loving God completely. 
That's our responsibility to you. It's your responsibility to your kids, though. I'm going through a great book right now by, by a, uh, a Christian apologist. He's an author. He's a speaker. Uh, it's a guy by the name of uh, Ravi Zacharias. He wrote a book called Seeing Jesus from the East, and he takes some time to talk about the difference between cultural adherence to religion versus God-given conviction. And what we need to realize is too often that we are living in this kind of section of cultural adherence to religion. You know, I go to church because I should. I go to a small group because my pastor told me to go. I I go to church on Easter because culturally speaking, that's what I'm supposed to do. I go to church on Christmas because culturally speaking, that's what I'm supposed to do. There's a massive difference between adhering to a religion because the culture tells you to, which in the Central Valley is still a, a normal thing to do is to go to church, and adhering to a conviction because God told you to. I think when you determine what type of Christian it is that you're going to be, one that's simply a Christian because culturally you're supposed to, or you're a Christian because you have a God-given conviction to be one. I think once you determine what camp it is that you're in or you want to be in, you'll determine the greater likelihood of the type of Christian your kid is going to be. And I'm not saying this is foolproof. I'm not saying if you are a beacon of Jesus to the entire world. If, I'm, I'm not saying if like, here's Mother Teresa and you're right below here, if that's you, that your kids are going to turn out perfect. Obviously, your kids at some point are going to have to make a decision on their own about what it is they believe and who it is that they are going to follow. I'm saying your kids are more likely to catch what you're throwing down. So what is it that you are throwing down? Is it a bland, kind of flavorless, non-committal, cultural Christianity, or is it a rich, fulfilling conviction that can only come from God? That, that, that's what it is that you have to determine. Because it's, if it's a conviction from God that you need to follow Jesus every single day of your life, then start with the disciplines of getting into your word and allowing your kid even to crawl up onto your lap while you're reading and ask questions or scoot a chair next to you to ask questions. Pray with your kids, but, but don't just pray with your kids before dinner. Pray with your kids after you maybe do a family devotion in the morning to pray for your day to set everybody's hearts up and ready to go. I remember Andy Stanley, he's a pastor from the South. Andy Stanley, one of the things that he did as his kids were growing up is they did stair prayer every single morning. And so stair prayer was before everybody ran out the door to go to school, to go to work, to go do whatever it was that they were supposed to do, the whole family came together on the stairs and said a stair prayer. And then they left and went on with the day. Pray for your kids before they have their social distancing math test. Pray for your kids before a big game, once we're able to have big games again. Pray for your kids simply because they're standing there and you love them and you just say, hey, can I pray for you? Your kids are going to catch that. They're going to recognize that, that prayer isn't something that simply needs to happen and fit into this one little box before dinner. They can catch on to the fact that prayer is an integral part of our lives. And we are simply going to thank God for our kids being a part of it or pray that God would, would give them wisdom and discernment in the midst of these different things. That have, whatever it is that it looks like, pray for your kids. Okay? Show them, show your kids that being in community with other Christians is incredibly important. You know, make your small group not something that you do, but a group of people that you ultimately want to do life with 
to encourage others, to love others. Show your kids that serving the least of these in whatever way possible is one of the both scariest and most gratifying things that you can do in the entire world. Whatever it is that you're throwing down, they are going to catch. So throw down the right things. What would it look like then if the church began to take the training of their children seriously? Right, that we decided honoring God was a conviction and not a cultural norm. You know, my guess is, is that the church dropout rate from high school to college wouldn't be 75%. My guess is there wouldn't be as much strain in the parent-kid relationship as they got older because they would both be striving after the same goal, loving Jesus, honoring God. And the family of God is always one generation away from dying out. It is our job as the saints to equip our kids in the way that they should go. So let's equip them well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, man, we thank you for our kids. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our bloodlines, for our capital F family of the universal church, God. We thank you for all of it. But God, we pray right now that we would recognize the different things that we have influencing our kids, that we are the main influencers in our kids' lives, or at least we should be. And so we need to check on those things that it is that they are catching. What is it that we are throwing down, God? And I just pray that you would reveal that to us today. God, that we could just be quiet for just a second and you would reveal to us what it is that we need our kids to better be catching. Father, I'm thankful for families who are doing it well right now. And I just pray that, that even they could tweak those things, that they could hone in better on how to, to, to throw down the right things, Father. And God, for those who don't yet know you, for those who want to be a part of the family of God, who want their kids to, to love Jesus, who want those people who are in their sphere of influence to love Jesus well. And I pray they would pray along with me. They would say, hey, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know I mess up every single day. But I admit that, Father. And I believe that you sent your son on the cross to die on my behalf. Thank you for that. And most importantly, Father, that I would choose to follow you every single day. That simply praying a prayer doesn't make me a part of the family of God, but, but choosing to follow you, that truly repenting and choosing to follow you is what brings grace, Father. So thank you. Thank you for that. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.